Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 322nd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Raising animals in your backyard is not just rewarding, it's actually easier than you think, especially when you have Kari Spencer to help you get prepared. Just text chickens to 33444 or visit backyardfarmanimals.com and you'll receive our free webinar on how to raise chickens, goats, and more, promote biodiversity, and put your backyard animals to work. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is testing for the presence of pesticide in our food. We're talking with Henry Rollins about pesticide awareness and testing. Henry was raised on a family-run organic sheep farm in Wales. This led to his deep interest in issues related to sustainable agriculture. Then he worked for a time as a news agency journalist in many countries across Europe. He eventually moved to set up Sustainable Pulse, a global news source focusing on sustainable agriculture and food, with an amazing readership of over a half a million people per month in over 125 countries. He is also an advisor on sustainable agriculture to several governments in the European Union. Beyond their news platform, Sustainable Pulse is involved in several reference projects, all of which have the aim of educating the public on problems surrounding the overuse of pesticides. Henry is the project director for their program called the Detox Project, which has set up a unique pesticide testing platform for food and our bodies. Welcome to the show today, Henry. Are you ready to rock? I certainly am, Greg, and thank you very much for the invite onto your podcast. It's wonderful to be here. You bet. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Absolutely. Right from when I was a teenager growing up in Wales, I have been interested not just in farming, but all of the issues surrounding farming. I started off working on our family farm when I was about 12 years old, driving the tractor around and also looking after our sheep 
Wales is famous for its sheep. Oh, yes. That's really what led me to being so interested in this topic and to, to try and use what I've learned to try and help other people to be aware of the issues surrounding organic farming and also sustainable agriculture and pesticides. From after studying and, and going off to different areas of Europe after after leaving the farm, which was a which was a big thing to do because I love farming myself, but I thought I'd find my own path. I then moved on to journalism, working working in Spain, in Poland, and and then in Bulgaria for different news agencies. After after a bit of time away of, from the sustainable farming world, I was actually dragged back purely because there were lots of issues surrounding pesticides, surrounding genetically modified crops, and surrounding sustainable agriculture in in my work as a journalist. So that's where I got dragged back to, into this world from, which which I'm I'm very lucky. One of the issues that really focused my mind and, and made me turn back to focusing completely on issues surrounding pesticides was actually back, I think, in 2005, when the Bulgarian government was talking about bringing in a ban on genetically modified crops. And so that's where I got back into the realms of sustainable agriculture and it was it was lucky that that happened because since then everything has everything has changed in my life specifically to focus on trying to bring bring awareness globally so all this journalism work that you did led to this project that you call the sustainable pulse can you tell us about that because it sounds fascinating yeah sure so from working for the news agency in Bulgaria, I realized how powerful online news is. I realized that, especially when talking about genetically modified crops and sustainable agriculture, at that time there were very few independent news sources, except for some forms of mainstream media. But certainly during the early 2000s, there were very few forms of independent media on pesticide issues at all. Some like GM Watch were around then, but I thought there was definitely space for a specific news source of breaking news, so 24-hour day news, on sustainable agriculture issues. Mm -hmm. So I started to build a network of sources, first in Eastern Europe, and then moving out to more Western Europe, the US, Australia. Now we have a network of sources from over 100 countries. So wow. what we try and do is we, we try and bring those new sources all together in one place. And, and why that is important is that people were really not very aware of these issues purely because no one was really connecting globally. Yep. So I, I think that was the main success of Sustainable Pulse has been able to connect different news sources to make people aware that there are lots of people fighting these issues all over the world mm -hmm. and I, I think i think it's easy for people to get very insular when they're working on specific campaigns or in their specific region and it's really nice to know that there are lots of people working on the issue and purely through providing news i think that has managed to connect many people which which i'm very pleased with it's it's a it's a fantastic way for different projects to actually get a focus in the media and not only do we actually provide the news but we also try try to connect the news to other news sources so that we can spread the articles around around the internet that's a topic for another day if we dig into the sustainable pulse maybe we should have you back and talk about that in the future so the detox project tell us about it how it got started where it's happening you know what's it all about 
after Sustainable Pulse became more popular, which took probably three or four years after we started it in the late 2000s, we decided that we needed more information to be put out in not just news sources, but also more background information, more peer-reviewed science, more easy-to-digest information for the public. So we started setting up static resources on the internet. By static, I mean that not news, but actually articles written by experts on specific subjects surrounding whether it be GMOs or pesticides. And so we started asking experts to write on particular topics and particular studies that have been done over the past 20, 30 years. We started off with GMO evidence, which was concentrating on issues surrounding genetic modification. Then we we moved on to pesticide issues, which the detox project covers. So it started off as an information source, specifically on glyphosate and glyphosate herbicides. But we set up a specific library of information, peer-reviewed science, for the public to be able to easily read and easily understand. And from that, because we realized that the public interest was growing on glyphosate specifically, we started to find ways in which we could gather more public support and raise more awareness. And during the, that process, inside the detox project, we started contacting labs. We contacted actually over 300 laboratories worldwide wow. to talk to them about pesticide testing for the general public and that's regarding urine testing water testing and food testing all with a focus on bringing awareness as to how many different pesticides and at what levels there are in 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 different matrices the problem was that we hardly any of those labs actually agreed to test for the public this is mainly because most of the laboratories work almost 100% for the food industry oh, wow. so they don't obviously don't want to affect their profit margins. However, we were lucky enough after six months of searching to find a couple of labs in California who were willing to test for glyphosate in both urine and food uh, for the general public. So that was really the breakthrough that we had for the detox project because it allowed us to start bringing real awareness because at that time there were very few possibilities for the general public to find out actually what levels of glyphosate are in their food or in their bodies. So that's that's the stage we got to. We then moved moved on to trying to focus on how we could use the testing to best bring awareness, which we started in early 2015 by working with UCSF, University of California, San Francisco, uh -huh. on testing a number of people's urine from across the US in, in a project with two, two labs inside the university. And we were focusing on allowing the public to actually pay for themselves to test mm -hmm. during that project, which I don't think has ever happened before. Right. So UCSF then collected all of those samples and provided the results back to the public, but are also working on peer-reviewed studies based on the results that were received during that project. Wow. Coming out of a university system. Yeah, I mean, that's that's another surprise for us because, as you know, in the U.S., most of the university system is, again, influenced, let's say, by big ag yeah. because they provide lots of the funding. So the, the scientists in UCSF obviously have taken a real chance on this project. Uh, I think it's partly because they were really concerned that there isn't much independent information as to the levels of glyphosate in the bodies of, of Americans. So they've, they've taken a chance, and, and I hope that that, that will be followed up 
by other universities across the US. Yeah. Do you have any idea what they have come up with? Yeah. So they actually published, pre-published some of their results in presentation they did in 2000, in late 2015, which showed that from the early results from the project, I think it was 93% of the general public that had been tested had glyphosate levels in their urine of above 0.5 parts per billion. So that's, as I say, the first real research that's been done across the US on glyphosate levels in people's bodies. And at 93%, I think that is obviously a worrying statistic. Um, <laughs> no kidding. We're, we're now looking at to see in their peer-reviewed studies what that level is, but it is obviously going to be high, which is an immediate concern. So what is the value of having this data and what power does that give us moving forward with making a difference in this arena? Sure. So obviously it's important for the general public to know exactly what levels of different pesticides are in their bodies because that's a right that we all should know and all should have. But beyond that, if we don't know what levels of a specific pesticide, for example, glyphosate, are in our bodies, then scientists doing independent studies on glyphosate will not know exactly what levels of glyphosate they should be using in their studies on rats to show us exactly what is happening in the human population and to our health specifically. Because at the moment, only acute levels of glyphosate are taken into rat studies. However, we want to move that and we want scientists to start studying levels that are actually found in the human population because that gives us real information. Right. At the moment, by studying only high levels, we're not really finding out too much because one specific point here is that different chemicals affect human health at different levels. Right because they actually affect the endocrine pathways and they hack our hormones at different levels. So, for example, with glyphosate, there hasn't been many studies done at the level that we are all exposed to, which is the most important thing. We need to know exactly what is happening to our health at the levels we are exposed to. Perfect. And where are you taking this with the detox project? I know you have some forward plans. I know there's an Arizona connection, which, which is where I'm at. Tell us about that. We've had a lot of connection with Arizona in our work for the past few years. We've worked alongside GMO Free Arizona, and we've started focusing on different issues locally in Arizona, pesticide levels in the human population and in, from different water sources around Phoenix. So after the UCSF work that we did, we then looked for increasing the number of samples that we could test because we were only testing with a with a lab in in UCSF who could test a very very small number of samples so we wanted a lab that could take this to another level we actually were contacted by metric bio which is a sister company to tgen a large scientific institute in based in phoenix arizona back in 2000 early 2016 we then prepared the project for the glyphosate biobank which was launched a few months ago this allows the general public to log on to the detox project website detoxproject.org to look for our glyphosate biobank and glyphosate testing in urine, uh -huh. and then to go through to the metric bio website for which they can join the research. It costs at the moment $125 per sample, mm -hmm. but it's not just to test the level of urine in your body, sorry, the level of glyphosate in your urine. It's also to allow metric bio to bank your sample. 
And why that is important is that we really don't just need to know the levels of glyphosate in our urine, but that we also need to know what those levels are doing to our health. And so Metric Bio is going to make all of those samples anonymously available to researchers to, for example, test the effect on people's microbiome and on other health effects of glyphosate. So we need to build up a a sample bank of around 10,000 samples over the next year to make this biobank successful and to move on to further human health studies. And so that's that's our aim. Our aim is to get as many people from the U.S., because this is actually only available in the U.S. at the moment, this glyphosate testing, Uh to pay for their samples, test their samples. They obviously receive their results within 15 days, I think it is at the moment. Mm -hmm. They will also be helping future generations to find out more about how glyphosate is affecting human health, which is obviously important. Oh, no kidding. So how does the process work? I'm I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. I want to get mine done. What do I do? Sure. So you would actually go onto the Detox Project website, look for the tab Glyphosate Biobank. From there, you will be taken to the Metric Bio website, which has a form that you fill you fill in to join the research. There, you can both pay for your pay for the research, and you will receive a kit within ten days mm-hmm. to be able to send a sample of your urine into the lab and fill in a questionnaire. And from that point. You will then receive your own results and further studies that are done in the future. You will be able to log back into the Metric Bio website when they when they send you an email and they will tell you further information about your sample, about your possible future research on microbiome using your urine sample. So it, it's not, as I said, just to find out your level. It's also to find out future information about different health effects from that urine sample so it's really it's really very interesting and much like genetic testing which has really taken off across the world mm-hmm. we're, we're looking at pesticide testing as something that can really affect human health and can give you much much more information on what you're exposed to and how to avoid that because that's one of the most important things that, that i'll tell you more about but the solutions is is probably the most important part of the detox project and something that we will be moving to focus on over the next over the next 12 months. Yeah, perfect. So what is the solution here? This is a big question. At the moment the problem with specifically with glyphosate as the most used herbicide in the world is that it's very difficult to avoid. Right. The Detox Project have set up a certification system called Glyphosate Residue Free, which we're taking to food brands across the US and actually internationally now to enable them to test their food brands and to show that they their, their food products do not contain glyphosate, which is an important thing because I think probably the the highest exposure we have to glyphosate and other pesticides is through the food we eat. Oh, yeah, exactly. Organic certified products are a really good idea. To eat organic is one of the ways to avoid pesticides. However, it's not 100% foolproof, purely because there's a lot of cross-contamination. And specifically in the US, the organic system is not tested enough. So there's a lot of supply chain issues in the food industry. And so we didn't really want to start this certification. We think there are too many certifications at the moment. But after testing both organic, non-GMO and GMO conventional products, we found that there was too much cross-contamination, too much contamination in the both organic and non-GMO food products. And so we thought this is this certification is probably the only way that the general public can be 100% sure that they're avoiding glyphosate. 
Yeah. So how does a company long term make sure that they keep glyphosate out of their products? Because it seems like it would be an ongoing testing process. It is, absolutely. And this is what we want to bring in to the whole sector, whether it's non-GMO, whether it's organic certified products. We want to increase the testing that they're currently doing because we think it's really important for consumers. We, we think that health issues surrounding pesticides should be focused on much more by, by these brands. And for that, they need to continually test. In Europe, actually, this is already done, especially in the organic sector. Most brands spend a lot of money on testing their product and grocery chains in Europe actually demand testing of the supply chain very regularly. Oh, wow. So this is something in the US that's not being done and we want to push the organic certifiers in the US in the correct direction. At some stage, we hope that the certification is not even necessary, to tell you the truth. At the moment, we think the US standard, the US organic standards are going in the wrong direction, and we want to we want to bring that back <laughs> into the correct into the correct direction. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's one solution. I think agriculture, the, focusing on different alternatives to herbicides and pesticides in agriculture is another solution in agriculture. Mm -hmm. Something that we've worked hard with universities all over the world to try and focus on the possibilities of alternatives. We obviously know that farmers are not going to all turn organic overnight, so we need to offer alternatives to them. This has been a big issue recently in Europe because there's been a debate on whether to ban glyphosate herbicides. And one of the reasons that that actually failed is that farmers have not been given alternatives and governments have not spent money on alternative technology. The wonderful thing is that there, that there are solutions out there for farmers, but they're mostly in either prototype or field testing stages. So we hope through the detox project to fund some of those technologies and to push different governments, whether it's in the Americas or in Europe, to actually start funding these alternatives, non-toxic alternative weeding systems. This is the time I think that currently consumer interest is growing in this area. Oh, big time. Over the last three or four years, it's mm -hmm. grown exponentially. And, yeah. and the, the knowledge of, of people across the world is probably through the internet and through all of the campaigns that all of these wonderful NGOs do, grown a huge amount. And that is now turning into a call for both food brands and agriculture to change what it's doing currently. Beautiful. And then, you know, there is always the education to educate consumers on what to demand, which is what you're doing through Sustainable Pulse. And it sounds like the Detox Project as well. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I think there are kind of probably three levels in this, in, in the solutions program. First level is obviously agriculture. The second level is educating people about diet and how to avoid pesticides in, in the food that they eat. But the third and probably one of the most important things is is showing them that there are options and products that can be used to actually detox your body from uh, specific pesticides. Mm -hmm. and, and again, that's, a, that's an area that hasn't really been focused on until very recently. However, there are some really good detox brands out there that are currently doing clinical trials and focusing on real detox, as I call it, rather than fake detox. Uh -huh. Because there are many claims out there from many products, but when you actually dig deeper, you realize that hardly any of them have done full clinical trials to actually show that what their products do what they say. So I, I think through the detox project, we want to actually focus on real solutions that have good science behind them. I think that's right. one of the most important things to make the public aware that there are real solutions out there. Yeah. Well, it sounds like on both your projects, both the uh, 
Sustainable Pulse and the Detox Project, it's grounded in real science. Again, and, and something that I talk to a lot of the NGOs about is the need to focus all of our work on peer-reviewed science that has been published or very, very thorough clinical trials. I mean, this whole area that the original problem with pesticides, GMOs, and other issues surrounding toxic chemicals is that the companies producing them did not take enough time to do full peer-reviewed long-term studies mm -hmm. to show that they did not cause problems for human health. And so now, because we're getting into the solutions area, we need to be very, very, very thorough with all the work we do yeah. and not to make the same mistake as those chemical companies have done. I think, obviously, the, the reasons are different because the chemical companies did that partly because they probably knew that they, their products were causing health issues mm -hmm. or purely because they were rushing to make profit. Right. But we still need to do very thorough work when we're talking about good solutions in this area. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. One of, I think, main failures, specifically with the work we're doing actually in Europe at the moment, I think probably because we were not concentrating on solutions, we were very much co concentrating on trying to show governments the problem with glyphosate and glyphosate-based glyphosate herbicides. We were solely concentrating on the problem. And this actually didn't really get us to where we wanted to get, which was to a place where we could reach a ban because we got a lot of pol political support in Europe. Right. And we got a lot of support from many NGOs who have been working on this. We ourselves have only been working in the background, but there have been many wonderful NGO projects which have gathered, for example, 1.3 million signatures from around Europe mm -hmm. for a ban which actually went into the European Parliament. And a lot of MEPs, lots of members of the European Parliament actually voted against the reauthorization of glyphosate in Europe. However, the really final stumbling point that we came across was the lack of solutions for farmers yeah and i think one of our main failures as i said working the background on this issue in europe was that we up until this point have never focused on solutions this has caused obviously a, a, a big problem which is that we have a toxic product that is causing human health issues that is widely used and we failed to get that off the shelves and it's going to be used for at least another five years most likely so mm -hmm. that's I, I think a big failure and something that we've learned many lessons from during the process and it sounds like one of the big lessons you've learned is provide a solution yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this has been a problem with many NGO projects regarding food and agriculture. I think regarding energy, when you look at how people have worked and how NGOs have worked on supporting, for example, wind and solar energy mm -hmm. as a solution and other forms that take focus away from oil dependency. I think in food and agriculture, we've done a lot of complaining and for very good reasons, but we haven't offered the same kind of solutions. So, And I hope many NGOs to take this on over the next year or couple of years is that we change our focus pretty much to focusing on good science, good comprehensive science on that we can use to push regulators and give good information to the public, but also very good solutions which have their roots in good science as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I've found over the past 10 or 15 years of my life that it works better for me if I'm working for something 
rather than against something. It sounds to me that your positive, what's the solution, is working towards something or working for something. It's the only way ahead. I think many of the NGOs, specifically in the US with the GMO labeling, for example, issue, came to realize that however much public support there is, however loud you shout, it's very difficult to turn the tide except if there are commercially beneficial solutions right and alternatives yeah obviously there are alternatives in agriculture which is whether it's bio increasing biodiversity going organic etc etc however a lot of the farms that are out there now are huge they're working on a system which is completely currently based on chemical on the chemical industry you know they can't see a, an alternative if we don't concentrate on those alternatives for farmers However loud we shout, whatever we do, we're not going to move the pendulum in the right direction. Yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success? I think probably our biggest success is enabling the public to start testing themselves and for Mm self-awareness. I think up until that point, we'd we'd publish lots of news. There had been lots of information flowing on the on the internet and in all sorts of alternative medias, which was raising awareness. But until that point, a lot of it was maybe ignored. It maybe ignored too much because people, until they start finding out that something is affecting them directly right. and their own families, it's very difficult for them to actually process all of the information that's coming to them and to get interested enough to take proper action. So I think I think the whole idea of being able to test one's body for specific pesticides and to start allowing different brands to test their their products and to, mm-hmm. to focus on testing as a whole, I think that's that's really going to cause change. Yeah. Which I think is a, is a really great success that the detox project has had. And and also also new technologies. I think the focus on new technologies excites both the commercial world and the public world. I think something that we've done is to start focusing on different ways of testing to improve our knowledge. Mm-hmm. The thing that we've done very recently is focusing on hair testing. So enabling the public to test their hair rather than urine, which is much more difficult for pesticides. We're working with a laboratory in France, but who actually allow the general public globally to test their their Mm -hmm. hair to find out what pesticide levels they have in their bodies. Why hair testing is so great is that we can actually find our long term exposure. Right. Before that, with urine testing and blood testing, you can only find out what you've been what pesticides you've been exposed to over the past few days or few weeks Mm -hmm. but with hair testing you can actually find out your long-term exposure over the last few months which gives you a much better picture right exactly that's our focus on that and also our technology focus for farm on farm alternatives so generally i think our focus on technology has been our main success awesome so what drives you it's a difficult question i think really from a young age i've really been driven by trying to fight against injustice. I have a very strong awareness when something unjust is occurring. From the work that I did as a journalist, I started realizing that probably in this area, in the area of chemicals that we are all exposed to, there was a massive injustice. 
there's massive injustice that we are not told what's happening to our bodies. Mm-hmm. We are not told what's in our food. We aren't told what these chemicals are doing to our health. That injustice drives me every day to wake up and, and, and keep working on this subject because until we reach a point where we are all aware and we are all given the correct information regarding the chemicals that surround us. Mm-hmm. Very different to the issue, for example, surrounding smoking or drugs or other issues where we are aware to some extent what is happening to us. Right. This issue is something that you know affects all of our children, especially our children, because the main ubiquitous pesticides or ubiquitous toxic chemicals are everywhere surrounding us. And we, we can't actually have to work very hard to avoid those pesticides. And it's only through information and through, through testing that we can avoid them. So I think this massive injustice will continue until, one, there are solutions, but two, there is massive public awareness yeah. that pushes change. And so I think that's, as I said, what drives me is that, is that injustice. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Right. So luckily, this is actually a book that has only recently been published. It's called Whitewash. Mm-hmm. And it's by the author Carrie Gillum. He worked for a long time as a Reuters journalist on pesticide issues. But this book focuses entirely on the issues surrounding glyphosate herbicides. The attempt to cover up the health issues surrounding glyphosate herbicides by the chemical industry mm-hmm. and by regulators. It's a really well-written book, but it's not only a book that would be interesting to people who are already aware of the issues because it's really written like a detective novel. Wow. It's really fabulous and something that I would suggest that everyone goes out and buys. Carrie is a, is a fantastic journalist who actually was one of the only mainstream journalists working for news agencies who focused in on this subject. Mm-hmm. She was attacked as a Reuters journalist by monsanto and the chemical industry but she still kept on kept on working her job for for many years and is now focusing on writing books and on on working specifically on this issue outside of reuters so i really support her work and and i hope that many people go out and buy her book excellent sounds like i need to get her on the show absolutely so what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners my advice is to start educating yourself as much as possible about glyphosate and other pesticides, but not only to educate yourselves, also to try and test yourself and test your families for the for levels, because only through testing will you know what you're being exposed to. Mm-hmm. And as I, as I mentioned before, the injustice in all of this is hardly any of us know what we're being right. exposed to both to educate oneself and to start finding out the truth. I think those two points are really important for all of us. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Henry. Thank you, Greg. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope to be on again in the future. Perfect. So how can our listeners get a hold of you and your projects? So the Detox Project has a website www.detoxproject.org, which has lots of information, background information, scientific information, but also is the place that you can go and actually test yourself, test your urine and your hair. And for Sustainable Pulse, which is media, which is www.sustainablepulse.com. 
those are the, the best places to contact us on and to find out more information on this subject. Beautiful. Thank you. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash detox project. We are your urban farming resource. You can find out podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Raising animals in your backyard is not just rewarding, it's actually easier than you think, especially when you have Kari Spencer to help you get prepared. Just text chickens to 33444 or visit backyardfarmanimals.com and you'll receive our free webinar on how to raise chickens, goats, and more, promote biodiversity, and put your backyard animals to work. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.